body aches at bedtime, Sierra Sil is a natural mineral supplement that supports joint health, calms inflammation, and we're so sure it'll work for you as it has for me and my husband for over 10 years. It has a money-back guarantee. Go to sierrasil.com, S-I-E-R-R-A-S-I-L, and use the code DRIFT for 10% off. Hello, I'm Erin, and welcome to DRIFT, a place of fairy tales, of truth and fantasy, of escape from your daily life. Made possible by Envy Pillow. Created by two registered nurses in Canada, Envy Pillow has a unique ergonomic design to reduce wrinkles, help with TMJ pain, and align your neck and spine. Learn more in the morning at Envy, E-N-V-Y, Pillow. This tale, written by Frank Stockton and first published in 1882, leaves you to determine the ending. Ah, what a conundrum it is in which our fair young hero finds himself. And this story has lived through the decades as an allegory, an expression of a problem that really has no solution. Now, Perhaps you'll be asleep by the time the ending, or lack thereof, arrives. For that's our aim here on Drift, right? We'll see. But before we embark on this story of passion and its payments, let's take a moment to get you into a truly comfortable position. We're going to first concentrate on your breath. So often through the day, we take short, quick inhales never thinking of this life that we bring in and release. Right now, take one deep inhale and exhale. Now, take a moment to start at your feet and let them just relax up your calves and your thighs. Release your hips from their hold and your backside up your back and around to your belly let them be soft and idle let your chest and your shoulders just release their hold too your arms your hands and your fingers find that sweet spot on your pillow and let your neck go now your jaw your mouth your lips your eyelids resting heavily and let your forehead be at peace and with one more deep breath in this time as you inhale think these words I am safe I am loved and with the exhale think this thought I am at peace do this again inhale I am safe I am loved and exhaling I am at peace we shall drift long ago in the olden times there lived a semi-barbaric king what exactly you might ask is semi-barbaric hmm I wondered too let's consider him a jagged rock who is polished by the rains and the winds, but who is still a rock. 
hard, pointed, edgy, and dangerous. Pleasing, perhaps, to the eye, but harsh to the flesh. That is what I would consider to be semi-barbaric. Perhaps you have other ideas. This king, whose notions, though somewhat shaped by the progressiveness of distant neighboring kingdoms, were still large and wild and free, and that became the half of him, which was barbaric. He was a man of wild fancy, combined with a love of his own authority, so irresistible that at the drop of a hat, he turned his various fancies into facts. He would spend hours and days deep in thought, just talking to himself. And when he had agreed with himself upon something, that was it. That thing was done. When it was good, it was very good. If his domestic and political systems were running smoothly, he was a gentle and friendly man. Throw in a hitch, the slightest bump, when some of his orbs got out of their orbits. He was gentler and even more friendly, for nothing pleased him so much as to make the crooked straight and to crush down uneven places. He was a dichotomy in many ways, being partial to areas of the public arena, for there he could hold massive displays of manly and beastly valor to thrill the minds of his subjects, who were in turn refined and cultured. Such a strange mix, don't you think? For even here, the king's leaning into his barbaric preferences asserted themselves. The arena of the king was built not just to give the people an opportunity of hearing the rhapsodies of dying gladiators, nor to enable them to view the inevitable conclusion of a conflict between religious opinions and hungry jaws but for the purposes of widening and developing the mental stimulation of the people. This vast amphitheater, with its encircling galleries, its mysterious vaults, and its unseen passages, was an avenue of poetic justice. For you see, it was in this arena that crime was punished, or virtue rewarded, simply by fate. Impartial and incorruptible chance. Here is how it worked. When a subject was accused of a crime, of something important enough to pique the king's interest, the public would be told that on such and such a day, the fate of the accused would be decided. This was indeed the king's arena. For although there were other such edifices far and wide, this one's purpose had come solely from the semi-barbaric mind of the king, whose passion was only to listen to his own whims, to give voice to his imagination, and to display for all of his subjects his own specific brand of idealism. On the day that had been announced, all the people gathered in the galleries. The king, surrounded by his court, would perch high up on his royal throne on one side of the arena. Then he would give a signal, and with that, a door beneath him would open. Next, the accused subject stepped out into the amphitheater. Directly opposite him, on the other side of the enclosed space, were two doors. 
They looked exactly the same and were side by side. The person on trial was to walk straight up to these doors and choose one, and then open the latch to whichever one he pleased. There were no hints or influence upon the accused, or shall I say the condemned, for this person's life was now in the hands of fate, that impartial and incorruptible chance. And what was it that waited behind each of the doors? This is where the man's choice becomes one of life and death. For if he opened the one, there came out of it a hungry tiger, the fiercest and most cruel that could be found and brought to the arena. That tiger would bound out and quickly put an end to the hapless soul who had freed him, a payment exacted for the prisoner's guilt. In the moment that the case of the criminal was decided, his fate sealed, his life ended. Mournful iron bells were clanged. Great wails went up from the hired mourners posted on the outer rim of the arena. And the vast audience, with bowed heads and downcast hearts, wended slowly homeward, greatly saddened that one so young and fair, or so old and respected, should have deserved so dire a fate. But if the accused person opened the other door, there came forth a lady, but not just any woman of the kingdom. Oh no, she would have been carefully selected and deemed suitable to the accused's age and place in society. To this lady, he was immediately married as a reward of his innocence. It didn't matter that he might already have a wife and family, or that his affections might be engaged upon someone entirely different. No, the king allowed no such trivialities to get in the way of his great scheme of law and order, retribution and reward. Just as suddenly as the tiger's savage meeting of justice, the reward took place immediately too, right there in the arena. For down a level, directly beneath the king, doors would swing open, and a priest, followed by a choir, and a band of dancing maidens, as well as trumpeters blowing joyous airs on golden horns and marching in step, advanced enthusiastically to where the pair stood side by side. Before you could say, I do, the wedding was solemnized. Then the merry brass bells rang forth their sunny songs, the people shouted glad hurrahs, and the innocent man, preceded by children scattering flower petals on his path, led his bride to his home. Who knows if they lived happily ever after? That's not at all where this story goes. This was the king's semi-barbaric and completely random method of administering justice for he considered its fairness to be perfect. The criminal could not know out of which door would come the woman who had been chosen just for him. So he opened whichever one he pleased, without having even the slightest notion as to whether, in a heartbeat, he was to be devoured or married. And it's not as if anyone knew which door hid the tiger, for on some occasions the hungry cat emerged from one door and on some, out of the other. To the king, 
The decisions of this lightning-fast tribunal were not only fair, they were final. The accused person was instantly punished if he found himself guilty. And if he turned out to be innocent, he was rewarded on the spot. Whether or not he considered a new bride to be a reward. No matter how one looked at it, there was no escaping the judgments of the king's arena. You might wonder what the king's subjects thought of this take on justice and its execution, sometimes in the most literal sense of the word. Well, it turns out to have been very popular indeed. When the people came together on one of the great trial days, they never knew whether they were to witness an awful ending or a joyous wedding. This wild card of uncertainty gave people an interest in the occasion which they might not otherwise have experienced. And so everyone was entertained and satisfied, and those with higher minds could find no argument against the practice. For when they thought about it, didn't the accused person have the whole matter in his own hands? Therefore, theirs were clean. We do not know if this semi-barbaric king had a wife, or seven, for that matter, but he did have a daughter, and she was his everything. She had a soul as passionate and fervent, a nature as domineering as that of her father. Since she was so very much like him, of course he thought the sun rose and set upon her. And he loved her above all others on the earth. But her father was not the only one to cherish this young beauty. For among the king's courtiers was a young man who was fine and perfect in every way, except for the tragic lowness of station into which he had been born. Just who you might expect to fall in love with a royal maiden. Oh, and she fell for him, too. She adored how handsome and brave he was, unlike any other in the kingdom. And she loved him with a blistering passion, barbaric in its manner, you might say, that was exceedingly powerful. Day and night, this couple's love grew deeper and stronger, until one day the king caught wind of the relationship. A lowly courtier with his extraordinarily royal daughter, this would not do. And so the man was snatched up and sent off to prison. As would be the case with any criminal, a date was set for his trial in the king's arena. This situation in particular, with its association with the royal family itself, oh, was of great interest to the public. Never before had there been such a case, for no historian in the kingdom could or would dare recall an instance where a subject had had the foolhardy temerity to love the daughter of a king. Of course, nowadays it is far more common, but then, oh no, and everyone was fascinated with the workings and development of this trial. Just as the most ill-tempered bruiser is brought forth for the highest-profile bullfights, no ordinary tiger would do for this royal occasion. The cages of the kingdom were scoured for the hungriest, most savage, and relentless beasts, 
from which the fiercest monster would be chosen for his moment in the arena. But what of the alternate door? Well, just as carefully and with the utmost scrutiny was selected the criminal's bride-to-be. Throughout the land, the ranks of maiden youth and beauty were scoured carefully only by the most discerning judges in order that the young man might be rewarded with a fitting bride in case fate chose for him a kinder destiny. There was no real question of guilt or innocence here, for everybody knew that the deed with which the accused was charged had been done. He had loved the princess, and no one, neither he, she, nor anyone else for that matter, thought of denying the fact. But this didn't sway the king in altering the way that his tribunal, his pride and joy, was to be conducted. No matter which door he chose, the young man would no longer be his problem or a part of his daughter's life. Plus, the king would take deep-seated pleasure in watching the course of events, which would determine whether or not the young man had done wrong in allowing himself to love the princess. The appointed day arrived. From far and near, the people gathered in massive throngs in the great galleries of the arena, and crowds that were unable to gain admittance massed themselves against its outside walls. The king and his court were in their places, opposite the twin doors, those fateful portals, so terrible in their similarity. All was ready. The signal was given. From an area beneath the royal party, the lover of the princess walked into the arena. Tall, oh, so handsome, his appearance was greeted with a low hum of admiration and anxiety. Half the audience had not known so grand a youth had lived among them. No wonder the princess loved him. Who wouldn't? What an awful thing for him to be there. As the youth stepped bravely into the arena, he turned, as was the custom, to bow to the king. But his mind was not at all on that royal personage. His eyes were fixed upon the princess, who sat to the right of her father. Had it not been for the genes of barbarism within her blood, it's likely the lady would not have been there. But her intense and impassioned soul could not let her miss an occasion in which she had such a personal stake. From the moment that the decree had gone forth that her lover should decide his fate in the king's arena, she had thought of nothing, night or day, but this great event and the players involved in it. But because she was blessed with more power, influence, and force of character than anyone who had ever before been interested in such a case, she had done what no other person had done. She had found out the secret of the doors. You see, she knew in which of the two rooms that lay behind those doors stood the cage of the tiger with its open front, and in which waited the lady through these thick doors. Heavily lined and insulated on the inside, 
It was impossible that any noise or hint should come from within to the person who should approach to raise the latch of one of them. But her great wealth and the power of her will had brought the secret to the princess. But here's the thing. Not only did she know in which room stood the lady ready to come out, all blushing and radiant, if her door should be opened, but the princess knew just who this lady was. It was one of the fairest and loveliest of the damsels of the court, who had been chosen as the reward of the accused youth, if he should pick that door and thus be proven innocent of the crime of aspiring to one so far above his own station. For that, the princess hated her. Often she had seen or imagined that she had seen this fair creature throwing glances of admiration in the direction of her lover. And sometimes she thought these glances were noticed and even returned. Now and then, she had seen them chatting together. Yes, it was only for a moment or two. But as lovers know, much can be said in a brief space. Sure, it may have been on the most unimportant of topics, but how could she know that? The girl was lovely, but she had dared to raise her eyes to the loved one of the princess. And with all the intensity of the savage blood, handed down to her through long lines of holy, barbaric ancestors, she abhorred the woman who blushed and trembled behind that silent door. When her lover turned and looked at the princess, and his eye met hers as she sat there, paler and whiter than anyone in the vast ocean of anxious faces about her, he saw by that power of quick perception which is given to those whose souls are one, that she knew behind which door crouched the tiger, and behind which stood the lady. And he was not surprised at all that she had known it. After all, he understood her nature, and his soul was assured that she would never rest until she had figured out the mystery of what the doors concealed hidden to all other onlookers, and even to the king. The only hope for the young man was based upon the success of the princess in discovering this mystery, and the moment he looked upon her, he saw she had succeeded, as in his soul he knew she would. With a quick and anxious glance, he asked the question, which one? And oh, she saw it as plainly as if he had shouted it from where he stood. There was not an instant to be lost. The question was asked in a flash. It must be answered in another. Her right arm lay on the cushioned arm of her chair. She raised her hand and made a slight, quick movement, a flick, really, toward the right. No one but her lover saw her, because every eye was fixed on him, the man in the arena. He turned, and with a firm and rapid step, he walked across the empty space. Every heart stopped beating, every breath was held, every eye was fixed immovably upon that man.
Without the slightest hesitation, he went to the door on the right and opened it. Now, the point of this story is this. Did the tiger come out of that door? Or did the lady? The more we reflect upon this question, the harder it is to answer. It involves a study of the human heart which leads us through devious mazes of passion, out of which it is difficult to find our way. You must think of it not as if the decision of the question depended upon yourself, but upon that hot-blooded, semi-barbaric princess, her soul at a white heat, beneath the combined fires of despair and jealousy. She had lost him, but who should have him? How often in her waking hours, as well as her dreams, had she started in wild horror and covered her face with her hands as she thought of her lover opening the door on the other side of which waited the savage fangs of the tiger. But how much more often had she seen him at the other door? How in her grievous reveries had she gnashed her teeth and torn at her hair when she saw him jump with rapturous delight as he opened the door of the beautiful young lady. How her soul had burned in agony when she had seen him rush to meet that woman with her flushing cheeks and sparkling air of triumph. When she had seen him lead her forth, his whole body alight with the joy of recovered life when she had heard the glad shouts from the multitude and the wild ringing of the happy bells, when she had seen the priest with his joyous followers step quickly to the couple and make them husband and wife before her very eyes, and when she had seen them walk away together upon their path of flowers, followed by the tremendous shouts of the ecstatic multitude in which her one despairing shriek was lost and drowned. Would it not be better for him to die at once and go to wait for her in the blessed regions of the afterlife? And yet that awful tiger, those shrieks, that blood. Her decision had been indicated in an instant, but it had been made after days and nights of anguished deliberation. She had known she would be asked. She had decided what she would answer. And, without the slightest hesitation, she had moved her hand to the right. The question of her decision is not one to be lightly considered, and it is not for me to be the one person able to answer it for you. And so I leave it with you here, now. Which came out of the open door? The lady or the tiger? Hmm, I wish I had an answer. And with that, I bid you good night and sweet dreams. <laughs>